clinks. <laughs> clink, clink, clink. Um, so you're you're listening to um, a podcast about female artists and how underrepresented they are and how much we appreciate them. And it's called The Art Broadcast. Right. I'm like, did we say <laughs> um, um, Who are you? I'm Claritza. And I'm Rebecca. No last names. No last the names. The artist formerly known as. Right. Rebecca likes to give her social around this bitch. And I it. just, I'm, there's a lot I'm of not people named Rebecca, life. you know? Oh, yeah. I'm sure. not the only one. So today we're talking about Leonora Carrington. This is a cool one. She's pretty, she, she's pretty great. Yeah, there's a lot of juicy stuff going on in here. Yeah, she was a painter, a a novelist. She's she wrote a lot of novels. She was an accomplished author, and she did some sculpture, and um, she was pretty cool. Yeah. So um, she was born April 6, nineteen seventeen. Um, she passed away very recently. Well, not recently, but in this know, month in two thousand eleven. She she passed away on May twenty fifth, which happens to be my day of birth. Wow. So. Somebody just right, turned 43. I just turned 43. <laughs> just kidding. I know, right? You'll um, never know. You'll never know. <laughs> I'm like, we'll never disclose. Really um, so Lenora was born in England. Mm-hmm. Um, her father was a wealthy textile merchant. Wow, she had three brothers. She had three brothers, which goes into kind of her ideas about, she was really progressive about, um, like, gender and sex, I guess is what we called it yeah. then. But um, I think because she felt really limited compared to her siblings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's the only girl. But they grew up, like, on the wealthy side. So Oh, for sure. Yeah, so they grew they up the on, like, class. a pretty big um, like estate. A, a rolling. Yeah, a huge estate. I don't know where Lancashire is. Her mother was Irish, and she was said to be a, a quote-unquote beauty. Ooh. Yeah, but she, and she had a nanny growing up, so mm-hmm. if that gives So she you, grew up Roman Catholic. Her family was Roman Catholic. Right. But her um, mother and her Irish nanny would tell her folk tales, like Irish folk tales that really informed, I think stayed with her for her whole life. Mm-hmm. Is the nanny, like, an influential part of this? Sort of, yeah. I mean, she was with her, her whole, like, a lot of her yeah. life. And she was the one, we'll get to that later, right, but right, 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 right. Leonora has some mental health episodes. She has a couple breakdowns. Coming up. Um, so, Lenora was definitely the type of person to grow up in an era where you were raised by governesses. <laughs> right. <laughs> Have you seen The Sound of Music? Oh, Oh, I you think haven't. about I've never seen the sound of music and I never will. I'll hold it's just like Star Wars. I'll never watch it. It's been too long. Mm-hmm. But she you know that that painting by Rebecca Solomon mm-hmm. of the governess? That's mm-hmm. what I think about of her upbringing is like some people in clothing, like all very posh. Posh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good word. But um So she had governesses and she had tutors, right. so she was literally giving like the best possible attention right. from hired help. But, um, but she got kicked out of two, I don't know what they call it in England, like convent, primary schools. Two convent schools. So those are yeah. schools that are like literally a, a, like run by nuns. Right, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. going to get more wine. Oh, what the hell? Okay. Go. Bye. Bye. Okay, so where were we? Oh, yeah. Okay, so a school, a school literally run by nuns. A school, and she was kicked out of two Excuse of them wow. for, quote, Unquote rebellious behavior. Right. There was, they would say that there was something wrong with her. Yo, the nuns literally said that they thought something was wrong with her. She would write with both hands. So she was ambidextrous. Yeah, but she would do, uh, they call it mirror writing, mm. where they, she would literally write backwards with her left hand. So not like left handed people, you know, they write just in a different way. She was right. And it's very strange. And she would do that for her whole life. It's like a practice that stayed with her. That's crazy. She was an interesting one for sure. But she, so then she eventually got uh, sent to Florence to Mrs. Penrose Academy of Art mm-hmm. um, at 14. And she was interested, introduced to like major paintings and she went to a lot of museums. Yeah. So she got like her real exposure to like the art world in Italy, which is where most artists, well, not most, but a lot of I mean, of back then you would be sent to Italy yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to study. 
And like clockwork, her father was against her career as an artist. Um, he thought art was horrible and idiotic, and her mother... Oh, he but also her said mother... It, huh? He said it was for a slur against gay people. Oh, yeah. He was the F word. very ignorant. Oh, for sure. Uh, but her, her mom supported her. Sort of, yeah. I think she went back and forth. Mm. I don't know. She seems like, in my head, I cast her as like a... Like a very meek and mild woman. Right, right. Like little to no say. Right. She was a debutante. Mm. Coming up in like London's wealthy sector, she was a fucking debutante. And she would use this experience later in her stories and her paintings. She, so even though her father opposed this whole art career, a mm-hmm, friend of mm-hmm, her father's mm-hmm. um, helped her get into Amadi Ozenfans Academy, um, which was kind of prestigious at the time. And uh, he was a French purism painter and theoretician, so he um, he was very serious mm-hmm. about an academic about the way he approached art. Um, and so during her studies, she pretty much learned everything she could learn about surrealism. Um, sort of. It wasn't. I mean, there wasn't a lot to learn then. You just kind of had yeah. to know people. But she. So the the book that influenced her was given to her by her mother. It was Herbert Reed's book of the same name of called surrealism and on the cover of the book was a painting by max ernst max <laughs> he'll one come up a lot only. later right the so we like him yeah he's all right i thought you liked him yeah i mean i like his work i like listen the surrealists were very problematic because they treated women like objects and nothing more than like sexual beings to be played with but mm. I really love surrealism. Yeah. And the first time I saw a dolly, I was like, this is it. This is what there's I want. Nothing, I want to do this else. forever. Yeah. It's kind of like what she recalls after seeing Max Ernst pieces, I guess. Yeah, so on the cover of this book was a, was two children menaced by a nightingale. And yeah, she recalls feeling um, really taken with it and she says so she says like a burning inside you know how when something really touches you it feels like burning, feels like burning. oh boy right I mean yeah and I think they talk about her already being in love with him by the time she met him so but a few works from this period in her life of at, during while she's at this academy before she really gets involved with the surrealists uh, one of them is Sisters of the Moon Fantasia. Mm. And it's uh, an early indication of her later works because it's a woman. It's very witchy to use contemporary language. And it's, uh, yeah, a woman playing a violin and she's surrounded by like little crickety wood nymphy kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's like, it's definitely a creepy image. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not like pleasant or soft or the colors are very harsh. Um, she's using like really strong blues. Yeah, a dark, lot of black. A lot of black. A lot of dark blues. Yeah, yeah. and like it's, a lot of white space. But it's I, different. Yeah, I mean it's and then that compared to the work that she's making at school, which were really traditional, yeah, straightforward, very still academic. Lives. But I think her color palette here is kind of similar to what she uses later mm-hmm. on. Yeah, lots of like earthy tones mm-hmm. and like hints of blues and yeah. greens. But um, and she says of her time at this academy that. She she she's glad she went and even though it does it's not really the work that she made made the rest of her life, she learned a lot. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's all you can ask for. But then in nineteen thirty six, at the age of twenty nineteen? She was like nineteen twenty. No, she was yeah, she was nineteen twenty. Um, she meets Max Ernst. So she goes to the surreal. Um, so the surrealists were showing at a show in London for the very first time, um, and so she goes. And at this dinner, she meets Max Ernst, um, and like the wife of a friend of Max, like went to, went school, to with school with Carrington, and there was like a little bit of a connection there. Um, and she freaking fell in love with him. So she says that she felt an instant connection, but they were sitting next to each other, or they were... Should we say who Max Ernst is? Oh, uh, he's, like, a pretty famous surrealist artist. He did a lot of, um... I mean, you can post something on the Instagram, but it's, like... It's a man. 
What's a man? We can't post a man. Oh, right, man. Fuck men. Never mind. Um, never mind. <laughs> he did, it's like um, more of the quiet side of surrealism. Right. But lots of dreamlike imagery, lots of landscapes. Like, skewed landscapes. Yeah, he was a bit of a, ahead of his time, for sure. Yeah, but he, so they were sitting next to each other at this dinner party, and her beer, she was pouring her own beer into her glass, and it started to fizzle over the table, mm-hmm. and so he leaned over and, like, stuck his finger in the fizzing over beer, and he's like, that's how you stop it, and yeah. then she's like, I really thought that was fun. <laughs> so that was it. That's that how she, love. she felt, yeah. But yeah, so she was already in love with him, because she had seen his work, and on the cover of the book, and uh, Andre Breton, who's the founder of the Surrealist movement, mm-hmm. he saw Ernst as the embodiment of his ideals, because he was really charismatic and really great with women, and um, his work was the most successful out of all of them for during their time. Right. I think now... Dolly is probably the most famous surrealist, but during the 1930s, Mm -hmm. during the movement itself. Um, Yeah, Breton said, the most magnificently haunted brain of our time, is what he said about Ernst. It's like, gross. (laughs) (laughs) He was was 46, so... And she was 20. Yeah, he was 26 years older than her. He's quite older. He looks good for 46, though. I mean, he looks like he's 46. Yeah, like a 1930s 46. Yeah. Not a current day. He's... He's an older man. He's, like, super skinny. Yeah, yeah. He, just like all the rest of the Surrealists, really did only see women as objects of sexual desire. These, like, symbols of salvation and wildness and, like, innocence. There's a lot of, like, the feminine font. They, like, hyper-focused on young women, I think. And, like, they definitely sexualized... Babies? Children? Yeah, like the infant, you know, mentality. Or I mean, that was one of the terms that they used is yeah. this feminine font, mm-hmm. which is like what she, what I think a lot of the surrealists, and especially Ernst, saw Leonora Carrington as the embodiment of that term. It's like she was super young, really intelligent. She had like long, dark hair and like big eyes. And she was, a lot of her work has to deal with like wild animals and nature and like people as animals. And so I think that's, they all saw her as that. And he called, Ernst called Carrington his bride of the wind, which is from a poem of his. And it's a mating mare that he had drawn and also written about like, like 10 years before he met her. So, um, he was also taken with her. Then they run away together, (laughs) even though he was married at the Mm time, you know, men, uh, yeah, so her father disowned her because she ran away to Paris with Max. And then, even though he was still married, they first rented an apartment in Paris, and that's where she met a lot of the players of the Surrealist movement. And then um, they kind of had to move farther out, and they had a, they got a little farmhouse um, in St. Martin. So Max Ernst's first wife's name was Maria Berth. Birth, a birthday. I don't know how you'd say that I in think French. It's like Bertha, but without the birthday. Birthday, and so Maria Berth came upon. <laughs> that doesn't sound right, but she came upon Ernst and Carrington in a cafe, and Carrington like jumped up and smacked Maria across the face, Damn. and like caused this huge scene. Plus, I think the Surrealists were just, like, running amok in Paris. I just, know. Just, like, fucking everything that moves and getting drunk and the high all the time. The children of the revolution. For sure. But uh, of her time, Carrington commented that, like, she wasn't taken seriously. Well, yeah, she, she said that, like, women in the Surrealist movement weren't taken seriously. But, like, when were women in the art world ever taken seriously? So Not now. Not, not now. Still. So I can't even imagine, like, a woman surrealist? Whoa. Right. And she, so they were Raise muses. the alarm. <laughs> <laughs> they were muses to these men and not Right, they were, like, not fellow artists. entertainment. Like, yeah. they weren't colleagues or, like, you know, they didn't work side by side. Together, they were a part of this movement, but like they were to be posed for paintings and photographs and and fucked and nothing more. Exactly. Yeah, but but she still identified herself 
at that time as a surrealist. Yeah, artist. I think yeah. I think I don't know how much she likes the labels, but I think right, she, right, right. she's definitely a surrealist. You look at her work and it's surreal. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Absolutely. And uh yeah, so they in 37 they send they settled in a village in a farmhouse outside of Paris mm-hmm. in Provence. In the- um yeah, so she was she was working a lot. And mm-hmm. m- to be fair, even though the other surrealists maybe didn't take the w- other women like Merit Oppenheim, who will do cuz she's fucking mm. cool. I love a teacup with fur. Yeah. Wow. But um yeah, so even though the other surrealists didn't take women seriously, I think Ernst did encourage Carrington yeah. to work and to produce and mm-hmm. took her seriously. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, and so Carrington was writing and painting and she wrote a short story that I read. And is very strange. Yeah. <laughs> I do like her writing. It's cause it's surreal and weird and yeah. has a lot of dark humor in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it's a it's it can be hard to follow. It's called the Little Francis. Little Francis. Does it say who Francis is? So um, so it's sort of autobiographical mm-hmm. in a weird way. So Carrington, the major players in the story are little Frances, who is uh, herself, like a surrogate for Carrington herself. Okay. And then Uncle Umbriaco, Umbriaco, who is um, a surrogate for Ernst. And then his daughter, um, who is meant to be seen as Marie birth Interesting. Ernst's first wife so you like open on um little Francis arriving at their house and um the the daughter fucking throws a fit and it's like you need to leave I'm gonna kill myself and like being very dramatic and completely unhinged and so like little Francis and uncle Umbriaco like run away and they like camping out in the woods and it's like all this really strange things start happening um but the uh, but uncle is like drunk and he eventually he like eventually abandons little francis and like rides off on a bicycle mm-hmm. um and so that's kind of the sort of what happens to carrington is that ernst goes back to his wife during this time and like leaves carrington alone um he does return to her but uh first he goes and tries to reconcile with his wife i think this also feeds into that whole um, seeing her gender as a limitation and kind of not adhering to the roles that she was forced into. Like, she casts herself as a little boy. Mm-hmm. And it also, I think, goes plays into little Francis and Uncle Umbriaco, like, having an ancestral... Because it's not outwardly sexual, but it is sort of romantic, this relationship in the story. And I think it's because Ernst was so much older than her, she saw him as a father figure, so... It's it's a weird read, but I recommend it for sure. Cool. Um, and we'll talk a few... Like, we... I mean, she's a painter and an author, but we'll talk a lot about her books because yeah. they're influenced by her paintings and vice versa, mm. so... Um, yeah, so her, I think, most famous work is her self-portrait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from 19, circa 1937, 38. Um, and it's an oil painting... It's her in riding trousers. Mm-hmm. So she's not in a dress. She's um, in, like, a green jacket and white pants, like, perched on the edge of a chair. And there's, a like, a female hyena approaching her, and she's outstretching her hand. And then there's also horses in the, like, a horse galloping outside a window. And then a rocking horse strung up, like, hung up on the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that also has to do with her... Wildness, yeah. This is definitely a very surrealist piece too. Her colors are super bold. She's using a very minimal palette too. Um, you can see like she's carrying over like the greens from her coat, like to the greens from the backdrop outside. The hi- the female hyena is so interesting. Mm. Um, so there's literally, like, a female hyena. You could tell that it's a female because of, she's obviously been nursing. Um, and it's just so she is strange. She udders? What do you call it? Oh, yeah, what are the nipples called? Aren't Tits? they nipples? I don't know. They're nipples. But yeah, what do you call the, like, sack? It's not a breast, right? No, no, no. I don't, I don't think so. Right? Full... Udders. Oh, I don't know. Are, are They're they? not udders. I don't think it's udders, but it's something. 
Um, but it looks like she should be riding that horse, right? Is that the point? Like, I think the horse is her. A lot of the, in a lot of her paintings from her early years and later and later on, she's a horse. Yeah, the horse is a surrogate for herself. So I think it's honestly, and I think this about a lot of her work is that every single object and person in the scene is a is a self portrait. Right. So I think she's the hyena and the herself and the horse outside and the horse on the wall. Mm-hmm. I think it's all sort of symbolic of who she is. And so the outfit, I think, is interesting because yeah. she's, she's like, she felt free when she's horseback riding back home when she's a young girl because she could do what the boys were doing and mm-hmm. feel free. And then I think the alter ego of this, like, really strange horse, like, running outside and then the hyena, she, motherhood was really important to her, even yeah. though she wasn't a mother at this time. But, yeah, I think it being full of milk is interesting, too, and pretty strange. But it's cool, and it's probably her most famous work. If you're not familiar with Carrington, if you saw this piece, you would remember. Yeah. Also made this year was the Meal of Lord Candlestick. Is that this one? Yeah, that's the top okay. one. Yeah, so the Meal of Lord Candlestick. So this is very obviously a Vanitas piece. Mm. Um, well, it's about religion. Yeah. So she definitely so. Vanitas piece is. Do you want to get into that? Yeah, tell me. So Vanitas is basically. Um, it's basically a, a type of still life where you have several objects that each object has a significant meaning. What's the matter? I would, This noise of me pouring this was really loud. Uh, well, I mean, we called it out anyway, so... Glug, 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 glug. <laughs> anyway, okay, sorry. Um, so basically, um, it's a still life that each piece in the in the... Each object in the piece has a significant meaning, and it's placed almost like on a table, like a regular still life. But everything is, like, steeped in... Yeah, in some sort of symbolism, and there's usually always, like, a dark undertone to it. Which I think is definitely accurate for this piece. So this one that she made in the same year is called The Meal of Lord Candlestick, which is, like, such an awesome title. It's pretty great, yeah. The Meal of Lord Candlestick. Stick. Talk about oh a band God. name. I, I know. Call it, I call it. <laughs> I love it. Um, but I also think it's weird because she broke ties with her father mm-hmm. a year before when she met Ernst, and Candles Lord Candlestick is what she called her father, which is so crazy. Yee, lots of daddy issues. Um, so this is yeah. This piece is very heavily influenced um, by her father, by her daddy, issues. by her daddy issues, <laughs> her issues with the Catholic faith. Oh yeah. Um, she says that this piece is basically her rejection of her Catholic upbringing. Um, in the frame, in in the piece, in the center, you can see um, that there is a baby um a male baby a male baby with like a fork <laughs> stuck into it and so that's obviously baby jesus right um and what's the taking of the body of christ called your your chris the body of oh isn't it just the body of christ i don't know the happy. ritual of like eating yeah, the uh, wafer it's communion isn't it communion I, I thought they called it something else. I'm I'm, I was once Catholic. I was never. In my previous Ow, life. All right, Bartleby, Jesus Christ. Um, oh, shit, sorry. I'm <laughs> talking about Jesus. <laughs> Jesus? Yeah, so there's five women seated around the table. Right. Um, a packed table. Like, there's, um, like, a rotting bird and flowers and it's right. a wild one and it's a packed composition mm-hmm. but the the woman seated at the head of the table is stabbing this baby with a fork and so I think yeah they make comments about it being like an allusion to the cannibalism of right, taking which, in the body of Christ right which is a very heavy topic in Catholicism I think right yeah. wine and those little wafers right so it's a bit of a controversial piece I mean she's stabbing what is seen Seemingly baby Jesus. You're right. I mean, I like it. Interesting. Um, So moving forward, um, so she paints this really creepy piece. (laughs) Um, And then in the spring of 1938, um, Max is finally separated from his wife. Right, he's like, I'm out, can't um, do this. Yeah, he's like, fuck it. Marie. Um, he settled, so he's back with Lenora in their their little pro, their little French... Farmhouse in Provence. Far, farmhouse. 
And now they're, like, really settling in. Mm-hmm. Now they're, they're, like, playing house, the setting up shop. They're decorating. They're doing it. They're, like, they love each other and shit. And he was making big sculptures of birds right, and right. fish. They were both very actively creating around this time. Mm-hmm. I think their relationship was probably pretty good for their creative process. Oh, yeah. They, I think they were really inspiring one another. But it was um, a little short-lived, but we'll get to that a later. Little, I mean, a lot of shit goes down. I mean, it's France for all you history people. It's France in 1938. <laughs> I'm mm. sure some of you are like, mm, impending doom We've been not. talking a lot about the Second yeah, World War. We, we should probably pick another time. <laughs> <laughs> like, we should probably get out of this. Um, um, yeah, so during this time, she's writing a lot on this, yeah. like, old typewriter i guess but it was she wrote a collection of stories called the oval lady um and in this short this collection of short stories is the debutante which is an interesting fucking story Mm. um it's set like of this girl going to have her debut the way that leonora did and she goes to the zoo and befriends a female hyena Mm -hmm. and then this hyena is supposed to take the girl's place in the story, like, take the, her place at coming out at the debutante ball. And so the she, the girl's a willing accomplice to the murder of her maid, who the hyena murders, steals the face, and then eats the rest of her body, and then unsuccessfully debuts as the main the main character in the story at the debutante ball. But um, it's a wild one. I didn't read that That's one all the way through. That's a crazy one. It's pretty crazy, yeah. Pretty crazy. And so that was the only story included in Andre Breton, the founder of the Surrealist Movement's anthology of black humor, um, and she was the only woman included. Uh, so at, during this time in their relationship, a lot of friends of the Surrealist Movement were coming by and hanging out. And mm-hmm. so Leonore Finney, who's also a pretty famous yeah. artist um she would come and visit a lot and there's a lot of documentation of this time of them together and so they would like all dress up male friends of theirs would come over and dress in drag and they would all like have parties and she would serve guests omelets with their own hair in it like hair she cut off of them during the night and then she was like she was just like a what there's also a story of her like um she comes out in a part in a party in like a robe and then in the middle of the party she just takes the robe off and she's completely naked in the middle of the party and then yeah like putting mustard on her feet and all this weird ass shit so she was a weird one she was a weird one but she yeah she was probably a good time that's okay yeah um so the next piece um is 1939, and it's a portrait of Max Ernst. Mm. Um, It was a tribute to their relationship. Um, And this one's very Dr. Seussy. (laughs) Right? It's stocking. It's so Dr. Seussy. It's like, it's again, like a surrealist landscape, but it's icy. Right. It's like frozen as a frozen horse. And so obviously there's this creature and it's supposed to be Max Ernst. <laughs> I think <laughs> the it's a head person wearing is, something. Yeah, so it's a person and he's wearing like a fish suit, a furry fish suit. Am I not describing this? Yeah, so correct? Max Ernst. It's right. very clearly him by the face. Right. The he's in the hair, foreground. Yeah. yeah. And he's wearing like a it kind of looks like a snooze. What do you call those? What is that thing from the fucking... Like a Snuggie? No, like the Lorax. What are those? Oh, like a... He looks Isn't like a fucking Lorax. Isn't it called a Lorax. snooze? I don't know. I don't know. You never but he looks like a Lorax. That's I think that's a d- good description. Yeah, it's like itself. a... It's a pinky red, like furry... Yeah, super ...body fuzzy. length And then he's thing. wearing like these striped, yellow and green striped socks. It's Which like- were described as being worn by little Francis in the, in the story. Yeah. Yeah, so she's, like, using new elements and old elements and right. whatever. She's got a deep personal mythology and, like, I'm not sure I like this I think it's fucking wild and I like it. Because Max Ernst is also holding this, like, weird lantern thing. And inside this lantern, trapped, is a horse. And horses often symbolized Carrington herself. So I think she... And there's also a frozen horse in the background. So I think she was feeling very trapped yeah. by this relationship. Even if it was a time of, like, heavy production for her, she's prolific throughout her life, regardless of who she was with. So mm-hmm. I think she's feeling trapped by this older man. Mm-hmm. And I like it. 
So, are we ready for a history break? I mean, so I mean, we've talked about this before in the uh, in other episodes. Right. If you want to hear me like stumble my way through describing mm. World War II, go listen mm. to Janine Maman. Oh, I don't. Right. Oh yeah, true. <laughs> right. But we've I mean, been here, done this. But just a reminder: Nazis are bad. Nazis are just tearing everything up, like <laughs> in every context. Right. Um, so that same year, as everybody should know, 1939, the French declared war on Germany. On Germany, and Ernst, who was a German, um, was arrested as an enemy and sent to um, sent to a camp. Yeah. Um, so Lenora followed him literally wherever this man went. Right. Um, she was lobbying for his release. Um, and while he was arrested, she brought him painting supplies and other materials so he could still, like, create. Um, so, but Max was an enemy to the Nazis, which is kind of nice. Right. So he was he was in, um, arrested twice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was, she successfully lobbied for his release the first time. And then he briefly returned to St. Martin with her. And then the following year, the Germans crossed again, and he was arrested by the Germans this time. Um, Even, he was sent even farther away to Mm Aix-en-Provence. Is that how you say it? Aix. Not sure. French. A-I-X. Who knows? And this time... Leonora really, she lost her shit for sure. She traveled to Paris again and tried to sue for his freedom. Yeah. But she failed this time. And so she returned to their house in St. Martin alone and began to suffer a series of. Um, yes. So this. Some this, mental breakdowns. Was, this was definitely taking a toll on her emotionally. I think with the, with the war in general and also the separation anxiety. I mean, she's been with this guy since she was 20. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she's such a young, young woman, really. And it was taking a toll on her emotionally. So naturally she had um, a series of breakdowns. Yeah. And like escalating delusional episodes. Yeah, yeah. And so the sort of, she sold the house and then fled to to Spain with friends. And one of her friends, Catherine something or other, came to the house and was like, we need to fucking leave. Like she was worried about being captured and about being raped by, Mm. by the Gestapo. So, you know, it was like, a whole thing and so they they left but then she had a a severe public mental breakdown in the British consulate and her parents intervened and had her hospitalized mm. in Spain mm-hmm. in Santander the bank yeah <laughs> in the bank <laughs> um, so as you can probably already imagine like being hospitalized Around in this time, 1939, for mental health issues, for stuff, it wasn't even considered mental health, you know. Right. Uh, but like you being, were fucking crazy, yeah, exactly. So she was heavily drugged, constant supervision. Um, it just wasn't a good time for her. Or she was having it. She was. She was. She was feeling, feeling it. She was feeling, feeling it. it. Uh, and she wrote a sort of memoir about mm-hmm. this time that we'll talk a little bit about more later, but mm-hmm. it was called Down Below, mm-hmm. which is also a great fucking title. Talk about being good at naming things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you could tell she's, like, a writer as well. Yeah, yeah. Can't get over I can't the name meal of fucking Lord Candlestick. <laughs> the meal of Lord Candlestick. I, I can't name a painting to save my oh, life. I know. Painting? What? Name? I'm, untitled number 23. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> untitled end. number 157. Oh, God. Literally. Yeah. Yeah, so she, um, yeah, so she'd write this memoir, um, which included her, in pretty great detail, her mental breakdowns in a really interesting way. Mm. I would also recommend reading this one. I read parts of it. I mean, listen, I have a full-time job, but (laughs) (laughs) we've all got things to do. We can't do it all. Um, But it was cool, and I do want to read it um, for real. Um, But she, so she recounts these times in great detail, including her multiple rapes and sexual assaults and her sort of intense and ruthless therapy sessions, therapy, quote-unquote therapy sessions, and how unsanitary the asylum or hospital or whatever you'd call it now, it was. But... So along with writing um, this this memoir, she also paints... um, the same memoir um, right. and it w- uh, with the same title down below 
And um, now this one's quite nice. Also a time. What a time. What a time. Her paintings time. are anything but boring. They are. It's just so. But So first off, to describe the piece, it's very dark. Um, like very dark. I'm talking Caravaggio dark. Like this right. is like it's obviously like candle lighting. Type. Lots of yeah, yeah. Like dark corners. Exactly. There's a lot of contrast, and the subject matters of the piece are just the strangest things you'll ever see. <laughs> like we got a horse. Naturally, we there's a there's a couple horses there. There's like a <laughs> castle in the background, which I think is the hospital. Okay, the asylum is in the background, and then there's. Five. There's like a humanoid figures. Humanoid. That's a really good word. So one of them is like a bird on a female's body. Bird person. A bird person. This is like what? This is like a potato person. What is this? <laughs> what is this? Okay, so this is like a asparagus person. Right. The legs are a little interesting, but the <laughs> the um yeah. So the person all the way to the far right is dressed like a like a butterfly almost with a horse like a fairy yeah she's got like an elaborate gown on yeah and then next to her is a horse and then so baphomet is the one in red stockings who's baphomet he's it's like a uh mythical representation of good and both good and evil um and you can kind of tell by the face so that character that figure has like taken off a mask and is holding the mask in its hand and underneath the mask is this like crazy goat face oh god and then um and then the bird head who birds were the way that horses are for carrington birds were for ernst so i think that's pretty interesting too and then a bearded lady is the one with the weird asparagus legs um, and then Medusa is in the background, just like chilling. Oh, that is Medusa. Straight chilling back it? there, yeah. So this one is quite scary. <laughs> and I've heard it described as a menagerie of mythical creatures. Whoa. <laughs> but I think they're all representations of herself, again. Yeah. I would make that argument. I No, I, I, I very much agree with this statement. I think the horse is the best element of this. Although I do love the asparagus lady. They're all weird and yeah. wild, and I like them all. This one's a strange one. But again, steeped in symbolism. And Carrington. Also, also, like, what the fuck? Obviously, the experience that she went through at this fucking asylum, like, who wouldn't paint batshit stuff? Right, but she was like, so talented, and and yeah. had such a good understanding of herself. Yeah, her self-expression is pretty, mm-hmm. like, to the T. Like, this bitch was seeing this stuff, for Right, sure. yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think, yeah, like, the bearded lady goes back to her sort of interactions with gender and shirking our ideas of sex at the time and mm-hmm. same with Baphomet horse of course what are you horse of course horse of course who else would Carrington be and then the butterfly person is sort of her coming out of this experience Medusa again like I just it's all fucking cool I think it's great um, it's great it's great and so before um, before she got out of the hospital asylum she wasn't quite released yet. She was taken by a nurse to Lisbon, which was, like, the great departure point of Europe mm-hmm. um, during World War II. And she was taken there by a nurse, and she was able... She was, they were supposed to go to a sanitari- sanatorium in South Africa, but she gave the nurse the slip and ran away to the Mexican embassy. She said she got in a cab and was like, I don't know, the Mexican embassy, I guess. Cause She's like, she, bye. She knew that... A friend of Picasso's who she had met before a couple times, right. I think. So, like, when she was living in Paris, she met this Mexican diplomat um, and a bullfighter. <laughs> what was his name? Uh, Renato Leduc. 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 An interesting Mexican um, last name. And he was a friend of none other. Our fave, Rebby. Picasso. He was a friend of Picasso. Gross. <laughs> Gross. Um, and homeboy married Carrington. Uh, this dude seems pretty cool. The bullfighter, right? Yeah, right? or the, I, I think he was an aficionado. Yeah, he yeah. was. I don't know that he was a bullfighter. A bullfighting. Yeah, whatever. So homeboy associated to bullfighting um, <laughs> marries Carrington so she could be given immunity as a as a diplomat's wife. Yeah, I think it wasn't. It was never for love. I think he saw a right. woman in trouble who he knew and probably had a sort of acquaintance yeah, yeah, friendship yeah. with. So we like helped a sister out, basically. which is like good. Good on you, Renato. I like you. 
But, um, okay, so at this exact same time in 1941, Ernst, Max Ernst, you remember him? You remember that guy? Remember? We've only been talking about him for... We left him in Paris, um... And he he manages to escape imprisonment. How he does this shit? I think because of Lord Peggy Guggenheim. Knows. He owes his oh, life to Peggy. Right. So he f- he flees to New York and he marries none other than the one and only Peg Babe, um, Peggy Guggenheim, who is pretty... She's got... There's some things. Pretty, there are some things that we quite enjoy about Peg. <laughs> Um, Listen, she's she's a woman. What are you going to do? She's doing things. <laughs> Can't win them all. She's in, I, you know. No, she's cool. What are we she, gonna she's do? all right. It's she's all right. all right. She's all right. We can handle this. Um, but they um, met. So Peggy, Ernst, Carrington, and Renato all meet as they're fucking leaving, fleeing Lisbon together. They, like, have a brief interaction And Peggy Guggenheim of this time says that she felt the deep connection between Leonora and Max. And that, like, even though she was, they weren't married yet, but she was on her way to fucking marry Max Ernst. She was, like, feeling a little jealousy there. Mm. But fucking Peggy and Max fly out and then Carrington and LeDuc take a ship to America. And they both go to New York. Or all four of them go to New York. To New York. Um, and they escape the Nazis. They make it, man. They make it. They're there. They make it out. And, uh... So, this is also a time of creating for her. She's, like, creating some inspiring work. She's pretty inspired. So, while she was in Spain, she visited El Prado, um, where she saw uh, Bosch's work. Yeah. Um, whom, if you haven't seen his work, Reb, have you seen it? I've never seen it in person. I, he's, it's like The Garden of Earthly Delight. Oh my god, it's legitimately breathtaking. Yeah. Like, honestly, it's his works are pretty, pretty, pretty great. Pretty great. So she's influenced by his work. Um, and this was bet- before the time that she was actually, like, admitted into the asylum Mm -hmm. um but once she's out she starts to paint these super intricate detailed pieces that are very reminiscent to to Bosch's work yeah sort of like see yeah her earlier work too but more refined yeah right 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 like she's including different elements she's obviously influenced Mm -hmm. they're Um, more atmospheric right but I mean so so we go to a piece she created in 1942 called Green Tea um and she created this piece um, after arriving to New York. Um, I'm saying um way too much. Quit it. Um, Knock um, it the fuck um, um. um, 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 um <laughs> so, um, what? So, um, fuck. So, um, um, okay. um, 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 so this piece is basically of a dream. Um. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a, of a dream that she had while she was in the yeah. asylum. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is asylum not a word we're supposed to use anymore? Mm-mm. Hospital. I don't think there are any more asylums. Right. It's a hospital. Yeah, it's a mental health facility. Right. I mean, you didn't call it that then, but. This what was, I, well, I called it an asylum because that's what you said right there. I know. I wrote it down, but I don't know that we're supposed to call it that anymore. I think it's okay. It, okay. That's what it was. We're referring to the facility that it was in 1940s. Right. I'm not talking about right now. I'm not talking about... No. Right now, no. We all got problems. We hate. But hey, <laughs> no one's judging anyone who's ever had to need to go hey, to a hospital. Hey. Um, so she says that she created this piece based off of a dream she had um, when she was having a seizure inducing shock treatment it was she had a, she had this dream the night before she was supposed to have that yeah so now to describe this piece mm. this piece is kind of funky it's fun. <laughs> so we got we got a horse we got a horse we got two a no, horse that's a of course what's that it's a dog slash hyena it's a dog hyena hybrid the nipples are there the Nipples. So the dog. Forget about those. Slash hyena slash horse and the horse. 
slash donkey. That don't look like a horse. <laughs> it's a tiny horse, <laughs> it's but it's a white horse, horse. Okay. which is always Karen's so they're tri- they're tied to these trees to two trees. But the trees are coming out of the back of the other one. So the hyena has a tree growing from its its butt, basically. Oh, right. And then and the, the horse, horse has a tree growing from its butt. And so the hyena is tied to the tree on the horse, and the horse is tied to the tree on the hyena. Damn, I didn't even So see they're, like, that. tied together, and the hyena is battling. Like, he's, like, you can see it, like, the reaching up and, like, escape. yowling, yeah. and the white horse is just calmly standing. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's, like, her wild side and her, like, austere Right, there's definitely two sides to this. Upbringing. Um, and then to the left, you have um, a figure wrapped super tightly in what looks like a, a straight jacket. Straight jacket, for sure. Um, which is something that they, at the time, very commonly used mm-hmm. in asylums. Yep. In that day, asylum. And you're up... There, so the scene is up on a like a hilltop, and then if you look down into the valley, there's like a like forest, like really nice looking forest, and there's three other figures mm-hmm. like deep in the in the background mm-hmm. or middle ground, really, and they're all they all look like they're wearing straight straight jackets, right, 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 right. yeah. And there's also like a cauldron, yeah. What the fuck happening is that? off to the side? It's like has little trees on top. Mm. Yeah, there's like a lot they're of incubating weird stuff a, going on. Incubating a person in there is kind of what it looks like. Right. But it's a it's a cool one. And there's like a, I think it's yeah, like her style, Boschian, but more refined. Lots of metaphor, and uh, you know, just stuff Carrington is known for. Yeah, still surrealist. So she doesn't stay in New York long. And she goes and travels to Mexico with her new husband. Her bullfighter. Her bullfighting aficionado. Um, And so the first work that she makes in Mexico is named after the house that she and the Duke first settled in. Um, And it's another... It's very similar to the other one. Um, Artes 110. Artes 110. Mm Mm-hmm. Or Ciento Diez. Who Ciento knows Diez. If, which language she's trying to... Obviously Spanish, because it says Artes. Yeah, but that's what the building was called. Yes. And, yeah, so this one is, I like, of her salvation, I think, because she's flying... There's, like, a figure flying from, like, a, a ravaged area of these, like, floating continents in the sky, and it's flying towards, like, a... a spinning wheel with a dress being made. So it literally looks like a porcupine... With, like, a slab of land on its back with, like, a mountainous landscape. Oh, yeah, that does look like a porcupine. Does it not look like a porcupine? Or, like, a platypus. Yeah, like a... I honestly never noticed that. You didn't see it? No, I was too distracted by the, like, mane of hair, like, flying through the sky. See, you looked at the the mane of hair, and I just saw the porcupine. (laughs) I recommend look, taking a look at it. Yeah, I recommend it. We'll <laughs> post it on our hashtag, the hashtag. art broadcast Instagram. Right. But yeah, I think, yeah, like a lot of her work, it's very clearly autobiographical. Yeah. And a metaphor. Steeped in metaphor. And there's a horse. There's and there's a, a horse. There's a couple horses. A horse, of course. Of course. Of course, of course. And, uh, yeah. I like this, this little right corner, though. It's like an empty dress. Yeah. Well, it's being spun. Mm. But it's also, like, taking the threads from a horse's head. Very interesting. She's it feels like up. we're describing some, like, a, I know. a dream I, always, like which is cool. Crazy, but you're right, right, right. Yeah. But trust us. Part of surrealism. It, it looks like something. It looks like a thing. So, the next year. Oh, sad 1943. Our bullfighter and Carrington um, dissolved their marriage. But they, I mean, I think they were both, they I think came they were into like, it with Yeah, they were knowledge. like, it's cool, we got this, we came, we saw, we conquered. Right. He was helping her out of a tough time, and he took but, her with him. Right. Yeah. And... Hello, it's 1940s in Mexico. Who's Baba Booming in Mexico around this time? Who? Just the most famous female artist of our time. Um, shall we take a guess? Um, it's our very own Frida Kahlo. Oh, look at that! Our very own. So she naturally is like in love with Mexico. Yeah, she falls in love. With um, her. and so she ends up moving to Mexico City. 
Um, and opposed to, like, what she had experienced in Europe of, like, closed borders and military presence, mm. Mexico was, like, a breath of fresh air. Right. It was, like, right. up-and-coming creatives, and, like, it was very open to intellectuals, and she right. she got to meet the people of the time, Diego Rivera right. so, and yeah. Frida Kahlo. So she meets Diego, she meets Frida, and naturally she's in love with the movement. Like, you know, she's introduced to this, you know, artists like her. Yeah. Um, but, you know. And other people had come from Europe, too. Andre Breton was mm-hmm. there. Remedios. Oh, there I, was a lot going I on. I love that name. Mm-hmm. Um, Varro, who's also a famous artist, who they became BFFs for mm-hmm. life. Um, so, yeah, she was having a grand old time. Yeah. Um, and then she meets a Hungarian photographer whose name I'm is. I'm gonna get let you do that Ziki one. Weiss? Ziki Weiss. Ziki Weiss. Kaziki. 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 Or is the C silent? Is the C silent? Kaziki. These are these are questions inquiring minds want to know. Mm. But uh, yeah, so he's a photographer. He also fled from Paris, and they um, they fall in love. Love a good answer. And they Nazi. they spent their whole lives together. And the rest of their lives together. And they had two sons, Grab- Gabriel and Pablo. Oh. I also love that she named them Mexican names. Yeah, she's like, fuck it, I love it here. Pablo. Yeah. Well, I don't Pablo know. Pablo and Gabriel. These are very Mexican names. Mm-hmm. Um, Spanish for sure. And she spoke Spanish. Probably better than I do. For sure. And uh, she kind of settled in. And she had a sort of quiet rest of her life. Yeah. With a lot of success. Mm-hmm. And, uh... And she was influenced by the, like, the rich culture yeah. and history of Mexico, like, Aztec and Mayan cultures mm-hmm. and their mythology. The bird god, what's his name? Oh, shit. We'll get to it later. I don't know. But, yeah. Um, so then in 1947, after all of this went down... So she had one son in 46, one son in 47. Right, so she basically had Irish twins. <laughs> um... <laughs> So in 1947, when, you know, the year Pablo was born, um, she creates um, the giantess. The giantess, yeah. The giantess. The guardian of the egg. I mean, have we talked about her naming skills before? Right. And so this is a pretty interesting piece of information. So this piece is considered to be one of her most well-known pieces and one of her most successful pieces. Um, so in 2009, this piece actually sold for $1.5 million. I was not able to verify this, but really? that's what I read on a website. Mm. But anyway, I think it's true. Well, if you can't verify, maybe we should cut that out. Who cares? Who knows anything? I mean... Well, let's wildly speculate. I love doing it. We wildly speculate... Speculate. Speculate that this piece sold for $1.5 million in 2009. Which is kind of a big deal, because Mm -hmm. there are very few women in the blue chip market. Mm. Um, Talk about A lot of women don't sell that well. They do, for sure, if your name is Frida or Georgia. Right. Uh, But these are Even Georgia. Georgia doesn't have a huge oh, market but she, value. Oh, but she has a market. Right. Perhaps her value isn't as high as Warhol or <sighs> Lichtenstein. Or he or, who must not be named. Oh, God. With a giant silver bunny. Kill oh. me. Jeff, Jeff motherfucking Coons. Oh, I don't think I've cursed enough this episode. Okay, but I, you don't, you're anti-Coons, I'm anti-Hurst. Listen, I'm anti-Damien Hurst, too. I all, I don't, either, both of them. Alright, alright, well, these men are still alive, all right, so all right, all right, we don't know nothing. We don't come after us. So, um, so it's a big deal. If, if her piece really did sell for <laughs> $1.5 million. We can Google it. We will Google I'll do some, yeah, some like, extensive Googling. That's you know, a big deal. Anyway, so this piece, this piece that may or may not have sold for a million dollars, it's uh, like a huge giantess figure in the center um, who has like sort of Celtic mythology around it. So uh, it's huge and uh, it's holding an egg like delicately yeah. in its tiny little hands and then on its shoulders is like a valley of like a cloak, a cloak, but then wheat like sur- on its shoulders and then surrounding this tiny little head in the center. Right. And then there's like geese. There's like three little figures at the bottom. Yeah, and there's like there's figures in the background and then there's this is still Swirling very bosh, I feel. Yeah. yeah. Still yeah. very so so 
um, in layman's term, there's <laughs> there's a giant. She's a ginger. Uh, she no, has, that's not hair. That's wheat. Oh, that's not hair. No, it's wheat. Well, yeah. she looks like a ginger. She's wearing yeah, a like, cloak, and she's holding a freaking tiny freaking egg that you right. can barely see. I wonder what an egg. And is then about. these weird little furry little birds are flying around her. Right. One of them has three three heads. Where's the three-headed bird? The one that's coming out of the cloak has three heads. What? No, that's two separate birds. Uh, one of them. I don't remember. Okay, so anyway. But there's like boats. <laughs> there's the ocean is behind her. The ocean. Yeah, she's standing at the edge of the ocean. Yeah. yeah. In Celtic, Celtic mythology, there's a triple headed deity goddess. And then she's also holding an egg, which I think is about motherhood, of course. Naturally. And then, um... So she says, the egg is the microcosm, macrocosm and the microcosm, the dividing line between the big and small, which makes it impossible to see the whole. So it has, it has everything. Um, but during this period, she, she was, she's getting back into her magic and her witchiness mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and going back to her Irish Celtic roots. But in this year also was her first major exhibition of her work. Um, which is pretty late. 47, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of shit going on, right? I mean, she went through some shit. And it was at the Pierre Matisse Gallery in New York City, and it was sort of put together by her longtime friend, Edward James, who is a surrealist poet, and also a cool dude. He's all right. (laughs) He's a dude, so... He's a dude, so you can only give him so much credit, but... Um... Yeah, she was the only woman featured, um, and she so so after this exhibit, she became like an overnight success, sort of. She like, she really hit it big. She's yeah. a successful author and painter, mm-hmm. but she worked her whole life. Yeah, well into her later years. Um, so in 1950, she creates um, Pastoral. Um, so this is like during her blissful years in Mexico where she felt free and she felt inspired. And it's like a it's a picnic scene um, or a ritual or I don't know what the fuck is happening. Both. That's a porcupine. No, that's an antelope. What is this? Anteater. I don't know. No. So again, like a bunch of weird animal, animalistic, humanoid figures. It's a hedgehog. Hedgehog. Hedgehog, which I guess is what that other thing was. It holds a dead bird by its neck, and there's like nude human figures that are androgynous, neither male or female. Um, gender is a social construct. Uh, and like a winged beast is flying in, kind of like a chimera, and... It's like everything is weird but vague, and there's like an antelope in the foreground, yeah, and like I, it's about the body and the self and gender and reality and perception. Her color palette is again lots of neutrals and yeah. greens and interesting stuff. It's a good one, yeah. And then 1942, Ulu's pants. That's a good one. Another good name. Um, lots of anthropomorphic figures there's a maze happening so it's like these are all like her her stride you know like really surrealist she knows her personal style her roots of mysticism and magic and mythology and like inspired by mexican culture and her own irish culture in the 60s, so we're, we're in the 60s now, mm-hmm. she is a co-founder of the Women's Liberation Movement in Mexico. Get it, girl. Good job. Go her. And so she created an original poster for, for, the, for this. This is a good one. Map. Map of the human animal. Mm. Ooh, what an oxymoron. Wow. Humans are animals, so. We just have, we're sentient. Okay, whatever. What? We are. Oh, okay, I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. Um, yeah, so again, egg is a big symbol symbol in her work, and there's an, like a macro-micro motif again. Um, at the center is an athenor, which is a furnace used by alchemists. Jesus. So lots of magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's surrounded by feathered snakes, which is a like a, an ode to the Mesoamerican deity um, and creator god. And there's the 12 zodiac signs around it. Wow, astrology. Oh what, a, what a world. Um, and then, yeah, like other chimeral creatures around it. 
so it's uh it's an interesting one and mm-hmm. it's a what is that a poster i don't know right, it's it different. showed me something it looks like i don't know what this looks like but it's women's liberation nice yeah so um in 19 so she's getting older you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how old is she now 74 she's 63 right yeah which isn't that Right, but I mean, in in the nineteen sixties. Oh yeah, and after all the shit she's been through. Right, yeah, and uh, yeah, so she paints a. I really like this painting called Bird Bath. It's like two figures in the foreground, and one of them, they're both older women, all dressed in black. One of them is wearing like a bird mask. I like this one too. Yeah, and the and there's like a a house. There's a house in the background. It's like a house frame. House frame. It's like an empty house. Yeah. I wonder why. Are oh her boy. children moving away? Mm-mm. Ooh, who knows? And they're bathing a bird. Like a bird with a skull. Mask I love how one on. of the ladies has like the spritzer. Just like a spray bottle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like funny. All of her work yeah. is kind of funny. There's like a little humorous undertone to oh, it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, so it's a like a lot darker, but it's about aging. Definitely. It's like older figures in it. She also wrote her one of her books is called The Hearing Trumpet, mm-hmm. and it deals with the aging of the human body. It's also pretty funny. Um, and it's a woman, an old woman, her family, she's living with her family, and her family is trying to ship her off to, like, be to a nursing home, basically, and they're conspiring quietly. And her friend, who sees this plot, gives her a hearing horn so that she can eavesdrop on the plan and then, like, tear down the institutions of society from the inside. And uh, it's a it's a book about the spirit of sisterhood. Oh, wow. How cute. Yeah. But I it's also pays tribute to her friend, um Remedios. Yeah. Um Varo. There's like a they all had children of the same age too, so they were they got pretty close and they lived near each other. They were both creatives. Um and she was she was working a lot. She was like making costuming for her performances there's like a weird double-sided mask that she made in 76 um for a play and then there she was doing sculpture for the city um one of her pieces is in is in mexico like i think a bunch of her pieces are in mexico city but um this one's a crocodile on its back it's pretty great i know i love it and, uh, yeah, I think she was progressive for her time. Her views on gender and on sex were pretty progressive. Yeah, but... But, but she did have a weird, skewed sense of, like, what it meant to be... be a woman. To be feminine. Yeah, also, like, she thought that maternity and being a mother were really important to, like, the, mm. the human experience. And I disagree with that. I mean, me too, heavily. Right. I mean, it's like she thought that it was a bio, it was biological, yeah. and that there and was I nothing. And I think that like at that time, like the idea of a woman not having children was pretty taboo. <laughs> I think that that is a new thing that's not taboo anymore for women right. to decide that they weren't born to give birth. You know. Right. Uh, but I think at that time, women were socially trained to believe that they their sole purpose in earth is to give birth right um and that you weren't a woman if you didn't right so there are too many people on this planet listen i want babies because they're cute yeah rebby wants babies i can live without them you can look at at my babies yeah i plan on raising mad like babies from a distance <laughs> like, and returning the fun them. aunt yeah, yeah exactly it's but um exactly. yeah she uh she lived a long life she died yeah she really lived it didn't she she did yeah. i am glad that there's a, there was a happy ending mm-hmm. for our yes, good old leonora our girl so she died at 94 wow memorial day weekend 2011 may 25th where were you in what? 2011 in 2011 oh yeah Ooh. what the fuck where it was, was your 20th birthday. Was it? Yeah. Girl, I can't remember anything. 20th birthday. I don't think it was relevant enough. Anyway. Cool. Where were we? Where were On you? On this day, 20. It's 20. Where were you? In college. This is fucking awesome. We're in Tempe. Oh, I have no idea where the fuck I was. Um, yeah, so she she died at 94. <laughs> 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 
sorry. Um, mm. <laughs> in Mexico City. She died in Mexico City from pneumonia, which I think is irrelevant to say. She was fucking 94. She died of old age. She was old. But I mean, yeah, she got sick and her body was too old. Yeah, to, and her body was like, this is it, but I gotta go. We're not doing We're, this no yeah, more. I'm we have this bitch. Tapping Bye-bye. out. Tapping out. So she's uh, an important artist. She's and pretty dope. There's a show of hers on literally right at this moment as we speak mm-hmm. in good old New York City. New the York Big Apple. City, the Big Apple. She, yeah, the Wendy Norris Gallery. Um, Which we probably will be going to. Yeah, I want to go. And then we'll take all the pictures and post them. Yeah. And she's, yeah, she's been in a lot of group shows and she's been, she's an accomplished published author and uh, she's, she's a badass of the badasses. She's pretty badass. She's pretty badass. Oh, a quote of hers that I like. Oh yeah, say that shit. I warn you, I refuse to be an object. Boom. Wow. Pretty good. If we could all only be so I cool. Know. Yeah, she, um, she did a lot. She made a lot of work. She was... Very briefly, a lover of a a more famous male artist, but she did a lot on her own. Yeah. You know, and she took off from there, man. Yeah, she never stopped. No, she's and pretty cool. She's very beautiful too. <laughs> you haven't remarked on that. Yet. I mean, oh yeah, we haven't remarked on her physical appearance, but she is. Right. She's she's a looker. She's a looker. She's yeah. a looker. Um. So yeah, that's the end of Lenore Carrington. Right, yeah, she was cool. She was cool. I yeah, I really loved. I saw her her self portraits at the Met. It's literally like so dark in here. I know. I always forget We've to turn the lights on in, in like in darkness. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> it's cool. It's too late now, Brad. Oh, we're gonna turn. Okay, the lights are on. So now. yeah. So now that we're done, the lights are on. Yeah. She um, she's cool. Follow us on Instagram yeah. at The Art Broadcast. We're cool. Rate, review, and subscribe. Yep. Tell your friends who are weird and like art and women. I think everyone should know more about Leonora Carrington. So, yeah. so there whatever you go. I can do to contribute to them. Yeah. Anyway. So. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. I hope you. Yet um, again. I hope. I hope. You. Learned a lot. Learned a lot. We had a good journey. Didn't we say that already? I don't know. All right, whatever. We're signing out. Okay, goodbye. It's good. Bye. It's good.